Welcome to All Vampires Are Gay, a serialized narrative podcast created by Corbin Rosewood. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please consider supporting our work. All Vampires Are Gay is made possible because of listeners like you. You can help out by becoming a patron, shopping our merch, and of course, telling your friends about the show. You can find all the ways to support us and more at our website, CorbinRosewood.com. Corbin here. I just wanted to let you know that if you want to send me an email, I absolutely love hearing from listeners. My email is hello at CorbinRosewood.com. Now on with the show. Episode 8, Jin's House. Welcome, I'm Corbin Rosewood, and tonight we return to the tale of a currently very moby vampire who just told a rather big lie to his oldest friend. Scene, Pendragon University. The weight of Victor's lie bore down on him like the rain pounding on the car roof as they rode up the long tree-lined drive towards the university where Jin lived and worked. Victor hated lying to Samson, in no small part because he was convinced Samson was always one step ahead of him and knew when he was lying. To say Samson was a keen observer was an understatement, and Victor was well aware. The lie felt like a thorn, twisting its way into their relationship. But truthfully, it had been there for years, decades even. This was only a continuation of the big lie, the real one from years ago. Victor worked hard to keep the anguish of that thought from appearing on his face, as Samson skillfully pulled the SUV to a stop in the university parking lot. There was an eerie silence between them as they got out, and Victor wondered, yet again, if Samson knew more than they let on. He looked up at the imposing academic building, with vines creeping up the old stone walls, coming to a sharp point with a stained glass window in the top. Students were carrying dark umbrellas and walking in groups down the promenade, deftly avoiding the rain dripping down from the slanted roofs. Samson opened the large wrought iron gates and Victor followed them into the enclosed courtyard. There were elaborate gardens on either side of the winding pathway that led down to the back door of Jin's workshop. Jin maintained the gardens full of magical herbs and unusual plants. She had even started growing rare mushrooms in the basement. Although she grew lots of herbs and read about magic all day long, Jin was more of a theoretical witch. She rarely practiced any spells these days. The dense brick walls of the courtyard blocked out the sounds of the students, and Victor heard only their footsteps and the dripping rain. They walked on the cobbled path among the trees and bushes, winding their way past Jin's special garden with its highly unusual color plants, until they arrived at the back entrance, an ancient dark wood door. The door had a few warding words painted on it in Korean. Samson ran their finger over the symbol slowly, activating the magic lock with their touch. The words flickered dimly for a moment, and then the door opened inwards with a loud creak. 
Samson slipped inside and Victor followed, closing the door behind them and watching the five deadbolts slide into place of their own accord. They stood just inside the door, shaking hair and stamping feet to get the rainy afternoon off their coats before proceeding further into Jin's workshop. Hello there, Samson. Who's this? Said a voice Victor did not recognize. He looked up to see a young woman sitting on one of Jin's messy countertops with a big spellbook open in her lap. She had shoulder-length hair with faded green tips, large sleepy eyes, and a face that suggested Jewish heritage. She was dressed like any college student. Combat boots, cut-off jean shorts with slouchy socks and tights, oversized sweater. The only exception to this was the rather large black witch hat she was wearing, and the round glasses that made her look vaguely like an owl. Ah yes, apricot, Samson said. This is Victor. Scene, Jin's Workshop. Apricot quickly shut the book with a resounding clap, setting it on the counter next to her and hopping down. The legendary Victor, my goodness, let me get a look at you, she said. She ran up to him until she was standing uncomfortably close and peered at him sharply through her spectacles. She looked at him, her slowly blinking eyes probing him with a rare kind of inquisitiveness. He shifted under her strange gaze, lifting his shoulders up and pulling his dripping hair back from his face. She leaned in closer when he did this, till she was mere inches away from his nose. Yes. Oh yes, you're a good one, she declared happily. And before Victor could respond, she had lunged for him, folding him into a giant bear hug. Apricot flung him around like a rag doll, his arms stiff at his sides as she squeezed him tightly. Finally, she let go and opened her arms wide. Welcome, she said cheerily. What brings you two here today? Ahem, uh, Jin, Victor said gruffly, fixing his trench coat carefully as he tried to get his composure back after the hugging. Of course, of course, Apricot said with a dreamy grin and darted off to the library through the big wooden door. She's a hugger, Samson said after she left, their eyes full of mirth. Yes, I noticed that, Victor replied with a frown. You could have warned me. And miss out on the ridiculous face you're making? Absolutely not, Samson said with a grin. Victor rolled his eyes. And why on earth is she wearing a witch hat? Who does that? Samson shrugged. She said it makes her feel more witchy. I don't get it, but you know what witches are like. Yeah, but a witch hat? It's like a costume. I might as well wear a satin cape, Victor said, shaking his head. If I recall, you did wear a satin cape for much of the 19th century, Samson replied. Before Victor could find a sassy retort, the door opened and Jin and Apricot emerged, each of them barely visible under a towering stack of ancient books. Hello, Jin called. Let me just find a spot for these and I'll be with you in a moment. Apricot quickly set her books on the floor and ran around moving the half-finished mugs of coffee, empty glass beakers, and herb scraps off of nearby counters to make a space for Jin to set her books down. Victor couldn't help but notice the infatuation in Apricot's eyes as she helped her mentor. 
He wondered if he looked that silly when he was looking at Robert. Jin set the books down, giving a grateful look to Apricot, and turned around. She had her hair bundled up on top of her head as usual. Today it was held in place with a strawberry hair clip. Her black-rimmed glasses framed her delicate features nicely, and her long coat carefully hid her giant wings from view, except for an unusual bulkiness about her. "'What brings you two here?' Jin asked. "'Oh, um, nothing much,' Victor said, looking meaningfully at Apricot. "'Don't worry about her,' Jin said, lightly squeezing Apricot's arm. "'Samson vetted her before I took her on. She's been helping with all my research about the troubles in the city.' Victor frowned. He never trusted new people. Nevertheless, he knew that when it came to Samson's leadership, it was best to pick your battles, so he kept his mouth shut. We've brought the photos from the mausoleum, and Victor brings additional information about a clan of witches in the area, Samson said. And of course, I'd love to see what you've been up to with that amulet. Oh, we've done so much, Jin beamed proudly. Apricot nodded enthusiastically. We've had so much fun. She added, I just love doing research. Victor raised his eyebrows and chuckled quietly. <laughs> She's almost as nerdy as you are, Jin. And that's no easy feat. Jin smiled. Indeed, I consider myself lucky to be working with her. Apricot beamed happily, pulling down the sides of her absurd witch hat. If we're going to be having a big meeting, I'd best make us some tea, Jin said, before turning around and heading out the side door to her kitchen. Everyone else sat down to wait, and Victor pulled out his phone to check if Robert had texted him. There was no new messages. Victor glowered at his phone. He didn't know what to do with all the feelings he was having, and he didn't like it. He wondered if perhaps Jin might have some helpful suggestions. She often had very good advice. Scene Jin's Kitchen. He pushed on the old wood door, and with a creaking groan, it opened into the small, cozy kitchen. His senses were assaulted by strong herbal aromas and a hint of wood varnish. He smiled. Jin's place was always so comforting. Oh, Victor, I didn't expect you, Jin said, turning around with three mismatched mugs in her hands. I thought I'd help you with the tea, dear, he said smoothly, taking the cups from her and putting them onto the waiting tea tray. Jin narrowed her eyes suspiciously. That's not like you, what's going on? Can't I just help my friend make some tea, he asked innocently. Jin rolled her eyes, not the victor I know. Fine, you caught me, he said, turning towards the tea cabinet so he didn't have to meet her eyes. I am... I was hoping for some relationship advice or something. I guess I don't really even know if that's what this is. I, but uh, yeah, he finished awkwardly. Jin whistled. Oh, the infamous heartbreaker Victor is asking me, little old me, for relationship advice? Your new man must be very special. Victor grumbled unhappily as he rifled through various tea bags. I'm not some playboy, you know. I haven't dated all that many people, have I? He turned around with the tea bags and dropped them into the waiting mugs while Jin poured milk into a small pitcher. 
She didn't say anything in response. Well, have I? Victor asked again. Oh my god, you wanted me to respond to that? Jin said. I'm so sorry, Victor. You know I'm not the best with social cues. Is this one of those times when I'm supposed to lie to you because we're friends? He chuckled. You should always be honest with me, Chin. That's what a true friend does. She set the milk jug down, looking deeply relieved. Thank you, Victor. I appreciate a clear answer. In that case, yes, you have been with an exceptionally long list of boyfriends. Victor sighed and thought about this for a moment. Then he said, Yet I don't seem to have learned all that much. I don't even know what to do about Robert right now. Well, what happened? Jin asked, setting a small bowl of sugar cubes on the tray and sitting down to wait for the tea kettle. Victor perched on a small stool next to her at the low table, opening his pack of cigarettes and lighting one. Jin slid an ashtray towards him. Well, nothing much, really, Victor said casually. He came with me to the mausoleum, and we had to run away from some thugs who blew up the B&B we were staying at. Then we made a fast getaway, and I threw a grenade into their car to help us escape. He said he needed some space or whatever, and now he's not texting me, and I don't know what to do or how long it will last, and it's bloody torture. Why am I having all these feelings? Jin looked both amused and alarmed at this explanation. Okay, well that's a lot to unpack. I'll be asking more about the explosions later, but let's focus on Robert right now. How long has it been since you heard from him? A few hours, but currently I don't know if I'll ever hear from him again, Victor said woefully. You are dramatic as usual, Victor. I'm glad nothing has changed. I think you just need to give him a little time, like he asked for. But how long? Victor asked. Every second feels like an hour. When should I text him again? You shouldn't, Jin stated simply. But, but, what? I need to know when I can see him, Victor said. You have to respect his boundaries. Come on, you know that. You can't get anywhere in a relationship if you don't do that, she said. He asked for space and you must give it to him, especially after what happened. Our lifestyle can be a lot for humans to deal with. They're so fragile, you know. The tea kettle began to whistle, and Jin hopped up to grab it before it got too loud. She poured the steaming hot water into the cups gently, while Victor reflected on her words. He sighed. You're right, of course. I knew you'd have good advice, Jin. You're so nice. You're nice too, Victor, she said. He shook his head. I'm not kidding myself that anyone thinks I'm nice, but thank you. Do you have any other wise words to help me through this difficult time? She tapped her fingers together for a moment, thinking. Is he human? She asked. Yes, Victor said. Are you sure? Of course. As you know, the smell of human's blood is quite distinct and my vampire senses are impeccable. True, Jin said, nodding thoughtfully. In that case, I will share with you my human interaction protocol. I have developed this over many years of study. I have found that humans do not respond well when you bluntly tell them the truth. They hate it. I know, it's frustrating. But I find if you tell them things gently, using lots of flowery language and excessive explanations, they really like it. it seems to make them feel safer and happier. Victor puffed on his cigarette. But that's so irritating. 
She nodded. I know, it really is, but it works, I swear. They like to talk a lot, I think. I think they're afraid. I know you don't remember being human, but try to think back to when you were a baby vampire. When all the little things mattered, you were scared of everything, and you cared deeply what everyone thought of you. Ew, I forgot how terrible that was, Victor said, shuddering. Through my studies, I have found that this seems to be how many humans feel all of the time, Jin said. That's dreadful, Victor said, putting his cigarette butt in the ashtray. But that is useful information. He paused, then gave Jin a cheeky look. Is Apricot the human you've been studying? Are you in her... You know, studying, burning the midnight oil, stacking the textbooks. I surely have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, look, the tea is done, Jin said, grabbing the tray and hurrying off through the door before he could question her further. Scene, Jin's Workshop. After delivering the tea, they began their meeting. First, Jin took Victor's phone, promising she would give it right back and let him know if he got any texts. She began analyzing the images from the mausoleum, while Victor told everyone about the incident at the B&B and exactly what had happened. Well, most of it anyway. When he finished, Jin thought for a moment, then said, My takeaway is that you should never leave the city, Victor. You'll hear no disagreement from me there, darling, he replied. I loathe the countryside. Oh, come on, don't you love a bit of fresh air and trees? Apricot asked cheerily. No, Victor said flatly. I prefer nightlife and a good brunch place, thank you very much. Amen to that, Samson seconded. I love a bit of nature, personally, Jin said, smiling shyly at Apricot. But... I do prefer curling up with a good book over everything, except maybe research. But anyway, back to your adventures in the wilderness. I have some questions. Shoot, Victor said, lighting up another cigarette and offering one to Apricot, who scrunched up her nose and shook her head. The mausoleum. I know you had a difficult emotional time there, understandably, but I wonder if you can recall if you saw anything unusual? Like what? He asked. I don't know exactly, uh, a broken amulet, a smear of sparkling goo, chalk rune markings, that sort of thing. No, I didn't see anything like that in the mausoleum or the surrounding area. Even the door appeared to have been opened normally. That is very odd, Jin said quietly. I have a question, Apricot said. Victor looked surprised, but nodded his head. Go on. How do you suppose the thugs from the Belladonna Club knew you were at that B&B? Vasya or her sisters must have called them, of course, Victor replied. No, that can't be what happened, Apricot said confidently. They would not have done that after calling a truce with you. It violates the code. I'm sorry to break this to you, but I've been around a long time and met a lot of crazy witches in my day. That is absolutely something they would do, code or not, Victor replied. No, they wouldn't, Apricot replied. She was starting to sound upset now. 
My whole family are witches. I know the rules. They would never do that. I've seen witches do terrible things, impossible things, years before you were born. The world isn't black and white, sweetheart, Victor said, standing up and pinning her with his fierce gaze. Okay, okay, calm down, you two, Jin said, jumping between them. I care about you both dearly, and I don't want to fight. Sorry, Jin, Apricot said, looking embarrassed. Victor just shrugged and puffed his cigarette, but he sat back down. Look, you both have a point, Jin said. Witches are not always kind, nature-loving magic workers, Apricot. Sometimes they break the rules or throw them out altogether. As a vampire, Victor has had very different experiences of them than we have. But I see your point as well, Apricot. You know a lot more about the witches in this country than I do. I know different clans have different rules, ones they are unlikely to break so lightly. Unfortunately, I don't know anything about these sisters or what clan they might belong to. Do you? No, I don't, Apricot said. But if you like, I can ask my grandmother about Vasya next time I speak to her. She knows everything about all the clans of this region. That would be wonderful. Thank you, Jin said, giving Apricot's hand a little squeeze, causing her to blush. Oh, you're speaking to your family again, Samson said, looking up from their iPad where they had been reading data. Yes, Apricot said, looking relieved. My grandmother took my call finally, and I was able to convince her that apprenticing for Jin would be good for me, even if working with a vampire was highly unorthodox. The Inglox machine was a big selling point, so thanks for that. Glad to hear it, Samson said, smiling. Victor noticed a subtle look on Samson's face, and suddenly he understood what Apricot was doing here at their private meeting. A legacy witch with a well-connected family could be a very good asset indeed. What's an Inglox machine? Victor asked without thinking. Moments later, he regretted his decision as he saw Jin and Apricot both approach him with the excited faces of true nerds ready to talk about their favorite hobby. You haven't heard about the Inglox machine? Apricot asked, surprised. Oh, it's the most delightful tool. Let me tell you about it, Jin said eagerly. It's a very rare and expensive device. I suppose um, you could call it a magical scanner? Through a complex web of deep spell work that I'm still trying to actually understand myself, the dev sends the spells through the crystals in the corners to examine whatever item you put in it for magical properties and enchantments. Um, I mean, there's really a lot more to it than that, of course, but <sighs> explaining it all might be rather confusing for you. Why don't we just show him? Apricot said, smiling and hopping up and down on the balls of her feet. It's best explained with a visual. You're so right. Why didn't I think of that? Let's get it, Jin said, clapping her hands together and rushing towards the staircase down to the basement. Apricot was hot on her heels, giggling excitedly as they clambered down the stairs. Those two seem pretty happy, Victor said to the sound of clanking from below. Mm-hmm, Samson replied, looking up from their iPad. Gin and Apricot, they seem to be, you know, stacking the textbooks. I don't think I want to know what that is a euphemism for, Samson said tartly. But yes, they do seem to be hitting it off. If only I could say the same, Victor said wistfully, wondering again if Robert would ever text him.
I'm sure a serial dater like you will bounce back in no time, Samson quipped. Hey, at least I date. You're basically a monk at this point, Victor shot back. I date, Samson said defensively. There was, um, um, you know, Siren, the bodybuilder. You dated her back in the 80s. Samson shrugged. I've been busy. Truth be told, in my line of work, you can't trust anyone. It makes it hard to date. You can trust me, Victor said, feeling the shame of the lie rising to his pale cheeks. He quickly reminded himself that Samson could absolutely trust him, even though he wasn't always honest. Yes, but I don't date you, Samson said. You're more like family. Jin and Apricot appeared at the top of the stairs carrying a large machine composed mostly of a glass box between them. Victor's shame must have briefly showed on his face because Jin said, what are you two talking about? When Samson dated that bodybuilder, Victor said, covering quickly and resuming his usual aloof smirk. Oh my God, I forgot about her, Jin said enthusiastically. She was so hot. What happened to her? Apricot looked visibly alarmed at this statement, and before anyone could reply, she said, Um, can we talk about the Inglox machine? It's getting really heavy. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, Jin said, forgetting about the past and returning to excited nerd mode. She looked around the room for a place to set it down, but unfortunately, nearly every surface was covered. Books, teacups, and magical supplies were absolutely everywhere. Eventually, she settled for dragging a stool over with her foot and balancing the box on top of it, holding it in place with one hand. Once it was settled, Victor finally got a good look at it. The device was a large box with runes etched in the glass, crystals in the corners, glowing pink lights on the edges, and what looked a lot like a receipt printer with a radio strap to it on one side. In the middle of the device was the amulet he had procured from the dead body outside Belladonna Club. It was sitting inside a smaller glass box with glowing blue wires that connected it to the rest of the device. Neither magic nor electronics were in Victor's wheelhouse, so he just waited for them to explain the machine, which of course, they were more than happy to do. As you know, the American witches won't acknowledge me, Jin began. I will, Apricot cut in. You're amazing, and they're so wrong. Jin smiled at her, but continued. But thankfully, I was able to obtain the name of a luxury magical objects dealer recently through some of my old divination connections in South Korea. After some intense negotiating, they were kind enough to sell us this for only a wire transfer of currency. It was a very substantial sum. Samson added, looking nervously at the precariously placed box. It was, Jin concurred, but being able to procure something like this for only currency, without paying a magical price, is an incredible gift. We are truly so lucky. Victor surmised that of course Samson had been the one who paid for the Inglox machine. They always were. Although Jin's family was well off, she hadn't spoken to them in decades and had devoted herself entirely to research and study, relying on Samson to fund her operations. 
So that thing, uh, is that a receipt? Victor asked suddenly, noticing a long piece of paper slowly coming out of the device. Jin laughed. <laughs> I suppose it could look like one. No, that's a data scribe, she said, pointing to the little device that looked tremendously like a receipt printer. It records the information the spells are gathering and prints it out for us. She held up the long piece of paper covered in runes and magical symbols. It looked like pure gibberish to Victor. But it's all in the various languages the spells were written in, of course, so we get to decode it, Apricot said happily. Uh, don't you mean you have to decode it? That sounds quite tedious, Victor said. Jin and Apricot both looked very confused. It's what we do, Jin said. It's super fun, Apricot added. I cracked my first code when I was five. It's so relaxing. Jin nodded her agreement. It really is. Samson looked down at the machine and the tape. Do we have any information from it yet? Uh, well, um, no. It's only about 25% of the way through its scan, Jin said, and we're still a few days away from decoding what we've got so far. I realize it may seem like a long time to wait for you, Samson, but for a researcher, this is actually lightning speed. This machine really is very impressive. I understand, Jin. Thank you for your work. You too, Apricot. But frustration was written all over their face. Since we are discussing work, my agents just got back to me with their discoveries from Henry Chomisky's apartment. Who's that? Apricot asked. The body that dropped on me from the sky, Victor deadpanned. Indeed, Samson said. Unfortunately, his apartment looked like it had been wiped by whoever he worked for, but my team was able to find out from his neighbors that he worked at Gramercy Hospital in the genetics wing. I was hoping you could go there tomorrow and see if you can get any information, Victor. Victor briefly wondered if he would hear from Robert tomorrow, before he said, Of course, no problem. In that case, I think our meeting is concluded, Samson said with a small smile. Scene, Jin's Library. Do you want to stay for dinner? Jin asked. Oh, we had some blood bags already on the way over, Samson said. I meant food, Jin said, laughing. In that case, definitely, Samson replied, and Victor nodded his agreement. Jin and Apricot returned the Inglox machine to the basement, while Victor and Samson ordered their food delivery. When Jin returned, she took Victor's phone and placed it next to a mini cauldron. She dropped a few herbs into it, crushing them with a mortar. Then she sprinkled them over the phone, whispering a few words along with them. Victor watched in awe and surprise as the herbs dissolved into a spiderweb made of light, which encircled the device tightly before disappearing. She turned around and casually handed the phone to Victor, saying, I put a little magical danger alarm on it so you won't get snuck up on again. Then she turned around and followed Apricot into the library where they were setting up for dinner as though this was all perfectly normal. Victor turned to Samson, his eyes wide. What the hell was that? Samson looked pleased. I honestly don't know. This happened to me last time I was here too. She just enchanted this brooch for me like it was no big deal. Since when? Victor said, stunned. 
I've literally never seen Jin do a spell without weeks of prep work, three panic attacks, and an emotional breakdown. Between you and me, I think it's Apricot, Samson said. She's been different ever since she showed up. Well, damn. If she can help Jin be that much more confident in herself, she's got my vote. Silly witch hat and all, Victor replied. I'm glad you came around, even though she bear-hugged you, Samson said. I still haven't forgiven her for that. They all gathered in Jin's library room. She had a small personal library attached to the large university one. Jin lit a fire in the hearth, and they sat in big cozy chairs, eating Chinese takeout from little boxes, while chatting and sipping on a bottle of wine Jin had brought up from the basement. Victor found he rather liked Apricot. She was quirky, but he got used to it, and she was good company. It delighted him to see the joy she brought to his old friend's eyes when Jin looked at her. As he sat by the crackling fire, sipping his wine and listening to the rainstorm outside, he drifted back to thinking about Robert, of course, wondering what he might be doing right now. He pulled out his phone and checked again for a text, but there were still no new messages. <sighs> he sighed wistfully and put it away. He didn't know when he would hear from his beautiful DJ again, but it definitely wasn't going to be today. So we come to the end of tonight's tale of found family and magical secrets. But of course, all Victor really cares about is when he will hear from Robert again. So let's hope for his sake it's in the next episode. You've been listening to All Vampires Are Gay. This episode was created, written, and performed by Corwin Rosewood. Produced and composed by Parker Frost. With additional production, mixing, editing, and engineering by the team at Studio Corwin. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting our show today so we can make more episodes in the future. You can find all the ways to support us at CorwinRosewood.com. Thank you for listening.